Great job. How many of you want to read Bible in front of a bunch of people? <laughs> Nobody. You don't even raise your hand at work uh, to answer a question. I'm proud of these kids who are doing this across all of our campuses. Uh, my name is Carlos Ortiz. I'm, I'm our senior pastor, and it's so great to be here. Uh, the third time I've spoken here at South. It's been a while, but so glad uh, to be here. My wife, uh, Libby, is here. Libby, she's right over here. Just stand up real quick. Babe, it's my wife. Uh, two of my kids are here. I won't make you stand. Just raise your hand real quick. Those are two of my daughters. Uh, we have five kids in, in, in total, and uh, we are old enough to have two adult children in their 20s. Uh, 23, 20. Ava is 17. She's a senior in high school. Uh, then we have Zoe, who is 13, who looks like she's 17. Uh, and then, then we have little Max, who's our fifth one. And uh, if you don't know our story, uh, we, had, we always wanted to adopt children. Uh, but we kept having our own baby factory of, of, of our own, the Ortiz family. And so we thought we were done. And then one night at a birthday party, we found out about a former student of ours who was pregnant. And she was processing abortion or adoption or keeping the baby. And uh, she was really leaning towards um, of, of aborting the baby. And we just came alongside her and loved her and said, hey, we, we love you. You know that you know, we'd, we'd love for you to carry the baby to term. And if you did, we will adopt the baby. And so she did. And so that's our Max. He's adopted, great part of our family, and, uh, and just bring restoration to her and to him. And so that's our little bit of our story. I also wanted to kind of give you a little insight because it helps for today's message. Uh, if you don't know uh, my own background, I grew up in a, a diverse, blended family. And uh, so you're like, most people are like, well, aren't you Latino? Yes, but I'm, I'm Puerto Rican on one side, which is Afro-Latino. My grandmother's black. All my uncles and aunts are black. Uh, but they speak Spanish, which is really confusing to some people uh, when they come stateside. Uh, and then the other side of my family is Mexican and Mexican-American. And so you're like, wasn't well, that kind of the same thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing. Like, even my name in, in Mexico or people who are, who are Mexican, is like, it's Carlos Ortiz, right? Great. In Puerto Rico, it's Calotti. It just like, sounds like a whole different language because Puerto Ricans just don't use certain letters because they don't want to. And so it's just the way it is. Um, and, and, but it is, it is incumbent, it's really important for you to know that, that um, for me, just tr trying to figure out identity was a really big part. And so when I came to faith when I was in college, uh, trying to figure out my own identity in Christ, my identity to who I was as a, as a person, was a, it's a lifelong journey. Um, and I love taking stories of how I grew up and, and my own upbringing because it's, it's our story. All of us have stories that are similar to this. And how do we fuse our story into Scripture as we're learning about ourselves through the lens of the Bible, right? Uh, but I think one of the things that's important for me is I lead on weekends. Sometimes you see me on the screen. I, uh, usually behind the stage, I, I pray the same prayer every week. It's two things that I pray. One is about myself. God, this is not about me. This is about you. What do you want to do and what do you want to say? And then number two is praying for our church body. Uh, all of our campuses and thousands of people they call Gateway Home, uh, including South. And... Um, I, I pray the same prayer. And today we're going to pray it together as we dive into Scripture. And, it, and it's three things. This part of the prayer is three things. It's our eyes. God, give us eyes to see how you see things, right, to take on your vantage point. Uh, number two is give me ears to hear, right, to truly listen. Um, and then the, three is, the third is really important. It's, it's our heart. So God, give me a heart that no matter my circumstance or situation, can I have a heart that is soft and has fertile soil, so the seed of God's word can be planted firmly in that soil, and it can be watered and germinate and grow something really beautiful. That's what I pray over our church every single Sunday, and today I want to pray that together, 
right? So I usually do it behind stage, behind a curtain before I go on the stage. But today, I want to pray that together. So will you just posture your heart, however it is right for you, and let's pray together as we dive in. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for, for good music. I thank you for the voice of a child. I uh, thank you um, for your goodness, your mercy. Um, there's some of us who came in, who come into today barely making it here. We just kind of have stumbled in because of life and life circumstances. And some of us come full of joy to worship together and see people in our faith community. And yet we ask this, God, would you be at work in us so that we could see what you see? Give us eyes to see what you see. Give us ears to hear what your spirit might be whispering to us. And for those of us, God, who are not followers of Christ yet, who are here exploring faith, Give us ears to hear the right things, the way you would want them to be said. And then, God, last, we pray for our heart. Despite the circumstances of our world, of our life, of economy, of our personal relationships, would we take a heart of stone and would you somehow turn it into a heart of flesh with fertile soil so that your words can go deep into our hearts and that that seed would go down and it would die but be germinated to come back to life. In the days, weeks, months, years to come, it would provide a harvest. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Amen. So a few uh, weeks ago, my oldest uncle passed away. And uh, he was 80 years old. Uh, He was a pillar in his community back in Michigan uh, and very easy to celebrate. You know, there was a lot of tears and a lot of things going on, but I just sat in a lot of peace a few weeks before that, my family and I were in Michigan. We're big Michigan fans, and uh, you have some Michigan people here at our South Campus. And, and while we were there for the game, we spent time with my uncle, some of my uncles, my oh, Theos and Theas, that we were together having dinner. And so we had just spent time with him, and it was, a, it was a great thing. It felt really good that we had just done that. But I reminded about his life. You know, he was born in Robstown, Texas. We were close to Corpus Christi, and uh, all, like all my other aunts and uncles, he was raised in El Valle, the Valley of Texas. You might even know that we have a Valley of Texas. We do. It's called El Valle. And, uh, and he, they were migrant workers. Uh, grew up just blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth people. Worked on farms and ranches. And, um, and they, they went wherever there was work. And so El Valle was a place they came to every year. And they lived there. And then sometimes they go up to the Midwest. Wherever there was work to be done, that's where they went. These people that were in the margins of society. They were in the margins. That's just who they were. And yet I think about some of the things that my, my abuelita, my grandmother taught. You know, some values, some family values. Like, be hospitable. Always have an extra pot of frijoles, of beans on, on the stove, right? How to clean up after a hard day's work. And not like a hard day's work in the office. Like, a day in the fields, how do you truly clean up and get the dirt out of your nails and wash your hair and, and really hold your head up high? My grandmother was pura raza. She just loved being Mexican. She wanted, her, she wanted us to be proud of being Mexican, even though I was only a halfer. And, uh, but Mexicans who love Jesus, you know, and this is how she talked about it. So with all the things going on with his death, there was all this, there was mourning and there was joy and there was reminiscing and there was a hope and his, that his memory brought. And, and I found peace in knowing in the middle of all that, this is just a few weeks ago, how rich my family is. For all of our blind spots, all of our issues, all of the different black sheep in our family, all the different family secrets, 
all the things that come with family, and yet there was something beautiful coming out, and it was this rich tapestry. And it reminds me of things that my abuelita would teach my mom. This is on my Mexican side, by the way. And, and, and she would say things like this. If we have Jesus, if we have food on the table, a place to sleep, and breath in our lungs, we have hope. Very simple way of talking about it. So as we go into Matthew 6, and this passage can be very troubling for some. We're going to get to that. Here's where I think my, my grandmother would encapsulate this message of chapter 6. If Jesus was serious then in him we have more than enough. If Jesus was serious, in him we have more than enough. And so here you have the context of chapter 6, and what's happening is Jesus is talking uh, to, to quite a big crowd, and most of them come from a Jewish background or understand Jewish culture, and he's hitting on a couple of things in this particular passage, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting. These are big disciplines in the Jewish community. And he's basically bringing these examples up of their relationship with wealth and money and resources and lack and abundance and all these things, and he's helping these normal, everyday people talk about what we talked about at Gateway, which is your journey of generosity. What does that look like? What does that mean? And so I imagine that Jesus is talking to a few thousand people who are very much like my grandmother or like my tios and my tias who grew up very normal, grew up just trying to work, trying to need that, get that paycheck and provide for their family and provide, put food on the table and try to be hospitable and try to have a good time and all those things because, you know, you know, all, you know that, that stigma of Mexican people know how to party? Yeah, you know that stigma? It's true. So anyway, <laughs> just trying to provide. To have a good time. And here you have Jesus talking to all these people, and they're just like you and me. They're not the richest of the rich, not the poorest of the poor. They're all of it. It's the spectrum of where they stand in society. And here you have Jesus uh, towards the end of his message, because we're, we're going to go back starting next week and kind of go back and go through these chapters. But if you fast forward a little bit to chapter 7, and Jesus is talking about very difficult things for six and a half chapters. He's talking about your life, your heart. Today we're going to talk about wealth and money and generosity. He's talking about these difficult things. And look at how it's described in chapter 7 when he's done. Chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Sometimes when we start talking about generosity or money or anything that triggers us, the culture says the moment somebody says something you don't like, you stop following. The moment, this happened a couple weeks ago. I was saying something in, my, in a message at our North Campus, and a lady came up to me afterward, and she was really, she was first in line to talk to me. She was not happy. And I was like, okay. And so she shook my hand, I shook her hand, she goes, I'm not really happy with something you said. I said, I totally understand, tell, tell me what I said. And she told me what I said. And she's just going on for like five minutes. And the security team was like, are you safe? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm safe, it's fine. And, and I just let her do her rant, and I stopped and I said, you know, that was the first two minutes of the message. Can you tell me anything I said after that? No, because I was so upset. So I took out my notes. She didn't even let me finish the sentence. I actually read her the rest of the sentence. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. 
But guess what? The culture tells us it's okay. And that these people sat with Jesus and heard very difficult things. And at the end, were willing to submit, whether they liked it or didn't like it, and submitted to the authority of Christ. And here's what I want to tell you. No matter how you come into a message like this on wealth and generosity and money, some of you are like, yep, I'm great with it. And others of us really get triggered by these conversations. Some of you maybe, maybe grew up in church. I was in a church service when I was 13 years old, and I walked in, and I became a prisoner in the church service. I am not joking. Some of you maybe been to church like this. And I was 13 years old, and the pastor got up and he said, we're not leaving here till we've raised $10,000. And I was like, three hours later, somebody just write a check. I want to go home. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you haven't experienced that you're exploring faith and maybe you haven't been in church a long time and I'm glad you haven't because the culture says anytime you go into a church, that's all they want is your money. So we have these things and so now you're thinking, uh-oh, senior pastors here at South talking about money and we're going on a giving campaign. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a deep breath. Let it out. There is no giving campaign. There's no card going to be passed down the aisle saying how much are you going to give. That's not what this is about. This is about us posturing our hearts and our minds to the words of Jesus. Can we let Jesus just guide us through this conversation? And there's two big obstacles that we're talking about today in this passage. The obstacle of wealth. Those that have it, those that don't, does it really matter? Wealth and the obstacle of worry. Wealth. And worry. And then in good old-fashioned Jesus' way, he creates a third option we call a better way. And how do we learn and glean from these? So here's, here's the first one. If Jesus was serious, then our lives are either worshiping God or worshiping wealth. Our lives are either worshiping God or worshiping wealth. So start in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is doing in this passage is helping us gain a vision of eternity. What is beyond you and me? What is beyond our current context? You know, this country, whether you have a love relationship with the United States of America or a hate relationship with uh, this country, doesn't really, really matter. We have to understand there were generations of people who thought of us in the way they made their decisions and the things that they fought for. And if we're not careful, we will grow into generations of people who only think of the temporal and don't have a vision for the eternity. And so what Jesus is saying is, you have to have a vision beyond your current circumstance and situation. You have to look at your paycheck, you have to look at your wealth, you have to look at maybe what your, your grandma left you, your grandpa left you, your uncle or aunt, or they left you nothing. And you have to say, how, do, how am I not determining my entire life based on what my bank account looks like? Whether it has zero or has dozens of zero on the end, it doesn't really matter. Do we have a vision for eternity? And, and, and I think about this because I wonder if we understand that a generous life is a life that you freely give away. A generous life is a life you 
freely give away. Going back to, to my grandmother, she, she, she made tamales, like any good Mexican, you know, grandmother does. And yet when she passed away 18 years ago, nobody can actually make tamales that taste as good as hers. Nobody. I don't know what she put in it. It probably was illegal, whatever it was. Whatever it was, we cannot replicate it. And now my aunts and uncles are getting to the age of my grandmother when she passed away, and they are mourning to have that one perfect tamale. And I remember when this happened because my family ended up landing in Michigan, and, and my uncles and aunts got a little bit older because they were teenagers working in the fields. Started working for GM and Ford and, and building cars and working in the factories. And my uncles came home one day, and they're like, Mom, all these people want your tamales because they're just amazing. And my grandmother looked at me. I was 11 years old. She goes, mijo, white people pay a lot of money for tamales. <laughs> and then she went on to make about 100 dozen. <laughs> no discount. And yet my grandmother died with nothing. Why? Because you know what my grandmother did with all of her tamale money? She had a vision for the future. So she helped dozens of young people pay for their college tuition and their room and board. Because she had a vision beyond herself. How does a person who has nothing have a vision of wealth and finances that they don't actually see actually touch their hands? Because somehow people can have this identity and this, this ability to connect with what Jesus is saying. Do I have a vision for beyond me? Do I have a vision for what God sees? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, you, you might think, this is weird. There's light in your eyes, you know? Like old Debbie Gibson song from the 80s. I get lost in your eyes. And I heard that when I was in middle school. I was like, that is stupid. How do you get lost in somebody's eyes? You know, it's just dumb. And yet this idea and this notion of a light in your eyes or darkness in your eyes actually goes back thousands of years in ancient history. And even nowadays in certain cultures in Central and South America and Asia, there's this philosophy of that you can see in people's eyes the state of their heart. And Jesus is saying that when you give, does it make your eyes light up and that there is light emanating from you? Or when you give, no matter the amount, do you give and there is a darkness and you project a stinginess about your heart? See, he didn't even say when you give over a certain amount, it's light, or you give under a certain amount, it's dark. He says when you give in general, you guys see that video on the internet of a church service? And I think it's in Africa somewhere, and there's this man who's just dancing all the way down the aisle about to give his offering. You guys seen that video? And he's going crazy, and he's dancing, going down the aisle, and he's so excited in some tribe in Africa, and he gives to God, and he goes back so excited. Everybody's laughing, and it's a good meme, and everybody uses it. And yet, do we have that same posture when we make a difference in somebody else? You ever get a gift from somebody, and they're like, happy birthday. I spent a lot of money on that. 
Where's that birthday gift I bought you? Do you know what I spent a lot of money on? And just their posture robs the beauty of the gift. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, if you have a healthy eye, there's a light that emanates from that. And when you have a dark eye, a bad eye, you are unhealthy, it's reflecting something deeper. Here's, in essence, what he's saying. He's saying your generosity is not a wallet issue, it's a heart issue. Because it's not about the amount. It's about, is my heart aligned to God? And here's what's really happening, is that if our heart's not aligned, we rob our own vision of the beauty and the tapestry of everything that God has created. We rob ourselves. And we don't get to see the beauty because all we see is the dollar amount. What if we saw beyond? Do you know that somebody came to your neighborhood or the city that you live in, the area you lived in, they had a vision for what it looked like to educate children so they built schools, so they built roads. And don't get me wrong. I complain about the traffic in the city. I know. That I came from Dallas and lived in Seattle. This is so much better. <laughs> but somebody had to have a vision in order to build it and to think beyond themselves, to think of the infrastructure. Do we think of that way when it comes to generosity? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, and either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That word is mammon, sometimes used in Arabic. This is idol. We cannot serve it. So when it comes to wealth, we either serve the God who's above all that, or we are enslaved to the paycheck. We're enslaved to the grind. We're enslaved to the so we call a dream, the dream becomes our nightmare. What if our lives were just surrendered to God as we do the very things we say are important? It's a heart posture. So that was wealth. The second part that Jesus transitions to is about worry. If Jesus was serious, then we're either consistently placing our trust in God or placing our trust in ourselves. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Here's the challenge I've been wrestling through on this. Because it's, it's a challenge for me. So this is a transparent thing I, I share with our North Campus, share with our Central Campus, and out here at South. My biggest obstacle in my walk with Jesus from the time I was 19 and came to faith while I was in college to now has been this, money. Because I grew up with the legacy of poverty and no money. And I grew up with parents who made some money and then gave it all away. And I was like, I'm not going to live like that not going to live like that. I'm going to store up. I'm going to save up. And I was a college student, and I was a rich college student. I had $300. <laughs> Shut up, man. Like, remember when you were in college, for the, you, you had $300? No. I didn't have to eat ramen like the rest of my friends. I'm not above it, by the way. I got to eat mac and cheese, right? 
And I was the guy who knew where every penny was. So I had the check register out because I didn't have a debit card back then. There, I don't know if there was. I think there was. It was a new thing. And I'm not an early adopter. So I didn't get a debit card. I wrote checks. I knew where every penny was. I had receipts, the whole thing. And I had, I had $300 and 300-something dollars. And I'm sitting in church, and, and, I'm, and I'm serious, and I hear this voice say, write a check for all of it. And I was like, Lord, help me. The devil's speaking to me right now. <laughs> There's not of you, God. So I wrote a check for $30 because I'm going to give the tithe of it. I'm going to give 10%. And God, you should be proud of me. I give 10%. So I wrote a check for $30 and I have it. I'm about to give it. And I hear this voice say, I said all of it. I was like, God, it's not all of it. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it as I'm writing the check. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And it became my obstacle towards my growth in Christ. Because it wasn't about money. It was about trust. I didn't know if I could trust God at that level. Here I am, 47, get to lead a great church in Austin, Texas. Get to talk about generosity. You want to know that that is still my biggest obstacle. You want to know why? Because it's a matter of the heart. Do I give? Of course. Do I give up 10%? Yes. Do we, we're generous, but it doesn't mean my heart always likes it. And I have to wrestle with this. How does that feel? Have your senior pastor say that this is probably his biggest obstacle in his spiritual walk. So I'm very mindful of what that looks like. And yet, think about this. The word worry in Greek is merinmayo. Merinmayo. And it literally means a divided mind. To walk in worry is to have a divided mind. There's a lot of science behind this, by the way, right? But a divided mind, and what a divided mind does is it begins to work against itself. And what does James chapter 1 say? A double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. So my instability around this issue can cause instability in a lot of other issues because it's not about finances and resources and wealth. It's about trust. Double-minded person, your body has a physiological response because the energy we have to actually fight for things we're using to fight against ourselves. Let's be honest. How many, how many of us deal with worry and anxiety or, or anxiety? Raise your hand. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. How much energy does it take just to get yourself out of bed, just to move forward, just to do X, Y, and Z? And, the, and how, what could you have done with that energy to move your life forward? Now, a lot of things are very valid and things we worry about and the anxieties that we feel. And yet this word, Marin Miles says, when we have a divided mind, our mind fights against itself it causes breakdown in our body, breakdown in our life. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, Solomon was a king of Israel, considered one of the wisest and richest men to ever live, and he was not dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow stone to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, those who don't know God, 
run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What do we trust? See, if you even trust society about how to handle your money, they, they say so many different things. I don't know about you, I'm getting to the age now where my feed is filled with, have you saved enough for retirement? <laughs> Click this button, touch this calculator, put in your information. I've done it five different times, and they're all telling me five different things. And they all say, oh, you're not going to survive if you don't have $2.2 million when you retire. And if we're not careful, we'll live a lie based on other people's perspective. Instead of living in the truth, place by trusting it in God. So we have this tension around wealth and what can we serve. We have this tension around worry and who are we going to trust. And then Jesus says, but there's a third way. There's a third way. So if Jesus was serious, then in him we have more than enough. What it looked like to live the third way. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What would it look like if we first sought his kingdom, have a vision, right, eyes to see, the vision of a kingdom of what God's trying to build, and then line our hearts up to do what is right, to be righteous, and then all these things will be given to you. It's this process. It's this journey we always challenge people on here at Gateway, this journey of generosity. We can't tell you where you are on the journey, but can we come alongside you in that journey and challenge you to start the journey, whatever that looks like for you. And it's becoming a resource and trusting in the process. My daughter is sitting right over here, Ava. She's a senior. And I like making fun of her anytime I can. And... Uh, but she's a senior, and, and so we were starting the application process for college. Mind you, I've been to a couple colleges, graduated. I've got two older kids, did the whole process for college. And Ava is, uh, unfortunately for her, wired like her father. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to give you space because I know I would need space. And I'm going to trust you because I know I would want trust. But I'm not going to do what we did for all of my other kids. My other two kids, the older two kids, they applied to 15 colleges they had no intention of going to. Uh, and they didn't go to any of them. They went to some random colleges that they didn't apply for. I'm like, I'm adding up the dollars. $50 there, $50 there. I said, you're only going to apply to colleges you have an interest in, and I want to be part of the process. So she started her Common App application. And I, I said the right thing. I think. I gave her space, and I said, I will start helping you starting October 1st because you're due November 1st. It's up to you. I'm going to give you space. I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to try to control you because that's my tendency. You do you, but October 1st, and I was, I was tempted on October 1st at 12.01 a.m. to text her and say, I am now ready to start helping you for college. <laughs> but I didn't. You'd be proud of your pastor. I left her alone. I left her alone, right? Because I knew, I knew October 1st, she was going to say, Dad, here's my password, here's my information, go look at all the application stuff and help me, Dad, get to the end of the line. But October 1st came and she didn't ask for help. October 2nd came, didn't ask for help. October 3rd, October, now I'm like, I'm not giving her any money until she asks for my help. 
I've been to college. I've applied. I've helped two other kids get. I, I know what I'm doing, and she, she's never done it before. Guess what? You want to know when she texts me to invite me into the process? Two days ago. It's due in less than two weeks. Now, she's a smart cookie. She knows what she's doing in some ways. And yet, she's applying to a process she's never been part of that I have. Right? I wonder how many of us sometimes forget that the God who created us and formed us and shaped us is inviting us into a process, and we get to choose when we invite him in. But the earlier we do, the better off we are. And so now we were talking about her essays. We're talking about the applications. We're talking about finances. It's beautiful because we get to do that together. She might not feel that way, but I feel that way. <laughs> but when she has a rough spot, she doesn't know what to do next, she'll be so glad she invited her dad into the process and her mom. And when you do that to God and you get yourself, you invite him into the process, even though you don't want to because you've got control and you've got it down. <laughs> but when you invite God into the process of your heart, and you come into certain situations, frustrations, to know that he's with us in this third way because we have first sought his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So you seen Pastor Carl said, God's going to ask me to write a check for everything I own? No. He asked me because it was a process. But I wonder if we ask ourselves these questions. God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my heart? If this is not about a wallet and about a heart, but it is tied to my resources and how you provided for me, God, what is it you want me to do next? And here's the challenge. We're not doing a big giving campaign. You know what we're going to do at Gateway? How this interfaces with Gateway? We're going to do what we do every year. Every early December, we, we start celebrating what God is doing around the world. We start celebrating how God wants to move and how God wants to use you. And we've set a goal. And you know since I've been here, We've set the goal, and Gateway Church, all of you have surpassed that by far every single year. Because we're a heart, we're a church of generosity, and I love it. It's so amazing. And every year we've kind of bumped it up. What if God did this, and you guys give more than that? And what if God did this, and you guys do more than that? We're able to help more people and help more missionaries and, and do things in our backyard. For instance, at our North Campus specifically, on average, we're feeding 50 to 60 families every week. But because of where everything is going, guess where we're at now? Over 200. Just one campus. So the needs are growing. God is using us to do amazing things in our community. So we're, we're challenging, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing. Just, you'll hear about it from Eric and the campus, about what's coming. But what if this year was different? What if this year, instead of waiting for Eric to entice us to give, what if we came with the posture ready what if it was about us, our posture, our heart, our part towards wealth, our heart towards worry, and choosing the third better way? God, how can we see what you want to do in the kingdom and in the earth? And God, how do we do what's right by you, your kingdom, your righteousness, knowing that all the rest will be added unto you? What if we were a people who had a heart ready and doing the work to be generous? So many of you already are. 
and you're just going to continue that journey. And yet some of us are going to start for the first time, or really for the first time, check our heart of what that looks like. I shared a story of my grandmother on one end, just a normal person, making tamales, helping kids go to college, and then there's the other side. Austin's changing, Austin's growing, a lot of things are happening. There's several people in our church who are, who are finding themselves, um, their small business or the little company they had, somebody's buying it out, or, or they're having, finding wealth for the very first time on the other spectrum of my grandmother. And I had a guy a couple years ago come to me, and he's like, I got a check for you for, for Gateway. Like, that's awesome, great. Do you want to know how much it is? Not really. You don't want to know how much it is? Not really. That's between you and God. It's big. That's great. So what did God tell you to do? I'm kind of narrowing down the story really quick. Well, God told me, I felt like God told me to do this amount, but I'm giving like three times that. Why? I'm kind of nervous about it, and I want to sleep really good at night, so I'm just going to give away more. And I looked at him and I said, why don't you just do what God told you to do? Well, is my money not good enough? You don't want my money? I thought churches like money. I said, you know what we like more than money? We'd rather have you, your heart aligned to God's. What does his kingdom say? What is right for you? And if God told you this amount, don't write a check for more than that. Walk in obedience. And he got really mad at me. Because I think he wanted me to accept the money so that he wouldn't have to wrestle through the issues of his own heart. See, it's not about the amount. It's about our heart being aligned to his. And if our heart's aligned to his, if we can see for the kingdom and we can do what is right, all the things get added and we get to walk in joy with the light in our eyes and know that we're healthy, that we're good, that we're on this path of generosity, that God is at work in us. So all I'm asking you today is would you be willing to search your own heart where you're at in this part of your journey, where you're at with this part of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, God, that you create a better way, a third way, where we're not always wrestling and worrying about money and worrying about this or worrying about that. We're not, that our trust is in you. And because our trust is in you, we can move forward with what you've asked us to do. So would you give us eyes and ears and a heart ready to do, seek after your kingdom, after your righteousness, knowing that when we trust you, you provide all the rest. All those other things come. Whether we're on the, on the margins of society, on the financial end, trying to make ends meet, or you have grown a business or helped us have wealth, wherever we're at on that, God, it's still the same process. Coming before you trusting you. Help us to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray.